All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Special welcome to you if you're new. Good to see you again if you're not. We're going to uh, start our service and start praising God if you'd like to join us. Of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger. The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder. Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder. The King of glory. The King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings up chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The king of glory. The king above all kings Who rules the nations With truth and justice Shines like the sun And, and all its brilliance The king of glory The king above all kings This is amazing grace This is unfailing love you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, you would lay down your life, that I would be set free, oh, Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me.
like to welcome you all to our worship gathering today, and certainly uh, everyone that's uh, joining us online. We're glad to have you guys with us, uh, either uh, in the body or in spirit, but uh, with the digital pathways that we have today, I uh, definitely can bridge those gaps as well, and we're grateful for that. Well, as we begin, um, uh, really, uh, this day of worship, in, uh, in, in hopefully in anticipation of this series that we're doing on the on the book of Luke and so many other good things hopefully that will come out of that that have been the product of uh, I think a lot of prayer and a lot of conversation that the elders have had together and we are just excited uh, about what we think uh, can happen as a result of the time that we've spent uh, uh, as elders in trying to calibrate our own spirits and what's emerged out of that and what hopefully can be the overflow of that into uh, the lives of the people uh, who um, we are shepherds over and um, friends and family, uh, people who gather. Uh, so as we think about that, hopefully that will set the tone. Uh, I do want to uh, invite uh, God into our midst. So please bow with me and let's just go ahead and get started. Lord Jesus, we uh, have just celebrated the amazing grace of who you are and the difference that you make in our lives. Father, I know there is a heaviness in many hearts because of what is happening, uh, whether at a global or a national or even a personal scale, that uh, is being carried uh, by a lot of people. And Lord, we see those burdens and we feel... Uh, that sense of longing to uh, see them lifted by you. And Father, we want to be uh, a church that is able to do that. And even as we come ourselves, we have some of those burdens. And we pray that you help us to, to lift them alongside us and help us to carry them. Uh, Lord, as we gather, we are a hopeful people, trusting that the promises that we have been celebrating this past month can come alive through the words of Jesus as we revisit them in the book of Luke. And so, Holy Spirit, as we have seen you in that book repeatedly be the source of every initiative that was from God, 
we ask that you would be the source of everything that we seek to do in this new year. Um, and even today, as uh, we have sung and as we are proclaiming the word, Holy Spirit, be the source of making us aware of the heart of the Father. Be the source of making us aware of the presence of Jesus. Be the source, Holy Spirit, for everything that you, you want to happen in this service as the good fruit that we so long for to happen in the body of Christ uh, in us and through us and for a lost world. So we just surrender our hearts and our minds to you uh, in that spirit of trust and anticipation. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wasn't kidding when I said I was, I was excited about getting into the book of Luke because there is so much that we've already discovered in there that we just want to unpack. And there's uh, definitely overflow that comes out of that study. Uh, Rich Capel and I, we have been having conversations about what's going on in the book of Luke, and that's really been good. And uh, Lick, uh, as, as, we've, as we've just engaged with that, uh, let me just tell you that um, uh, out of that overflow, we, we want to just expand on what we're able to do, not only in the study, but how we can create community again in ways that maybe we've been missing for a long time. So a after services, what we're hoping to do is just uh, engage our people in a, in, a, in a time of basically just large group Sunday school. And as we uh, think about that, um, we, we, you know, we're, we're going to invite you to be a part of that gathering uh, following worship services for about an hour, just talking about um, the word and things on our hearts and things like that. And, and Rich, I don't know if you want to share a little bit about, about that as well, um, but maybe I'll invite you up and uh, you can just kind of also be a catalyst for that, that initiative Here's our plan. Um, after the service, moving forward, um, each week as we go through the book of Luke, uh, we know we haven't been able to meet as much. We haven't had opportunities for fellowship, like Leonard said. And um, so we have the opportunity not to um, just to utilize our room and continue doing what we're already doing right here, just in a different context. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to follow the book of Luke. Every text that we're in in the sermon, we're going to dig deeper into in the Bible study afterwards. So you can remain if you online. You can remain as well. Uh, whatever time we have left uh, between when we dismiss and 11 o'clock that's the time we have maybe, maybe it's an hour maybe it's 45 minutes maybe it's 35 minutes we'll make the most of it in that time um and that's pretty much all the news i have for you now maybe we can produce some materials as we go forward kind of a surprise thing so you're welcome to stay after today it begins okay so kicks off today just just if you want to join us then just jump in yeah. right yeah awesome all you need is this all you need is that yeah. okay um, so, uh, we, um, we know that, it, that, that so many of us have, uh, been blessed by being able to worship as we gather like this or online, but we also know that what's been lacking is our ability to be together in community. And for some of us, we've kind of gotten out of the habit of things or the rituals that we 
we do that um, are so essential for life, we've neglected, and we want to try to rekindle some of that the best that we can. With that said, I think there's no better place to start uh, than this passage of Scripture that we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses um, 22 through 38. And I'm just going to read it right out of the gate, and then I hope some good things are going to happen as a result of that reading. Uh, So feel free to follow along if you like. Um, it's as, uh, it's picks up where Jesus is presented at the temple. So we're following all the, all the birth, uh, stuff that we talked about during, uh, 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 Advent. So here we go. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and that would be many of us in the room and watching, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and and, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Now, when I just zoom out a little bit and I ask the question, well, for, uh, yeah, also, and then coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Sorry, I almost forgot that part. That's pretty significant as well. But uh, let me just uh, offer a few thoughts about what I, I've seen going on here that I, I hope will be helpful for you guys. Uh, and, and, and that is this. When you zoom out and you ask the question, what exactly is the significance of this story? Um, I, I, I think the, for our purposes, uh, we need to understand that Jesus as a, as a, as a small child Uh, was in an environment, a community of people that were reinforcing everything that would uh, involve the mission that he would 
be called to perform. He was in this community that really was a necessary environment uh, to basically shape his, his thinking, his way of life, his behavior uh, for a trajectory that says, uh, I am part of these people, but I am also called to be uh, in, 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 a, in a unique and extremely responsible role of being the deliverer of these people. Now, when you think about what just occurred, it is not unlike an initiation rite. If you've ever gone to the university and you joined a sorority or a fraternity, you've probably heard about initiation rites and hazing and all of those things that happen. And if you've heard about it or perhaps experienced it, a lot of times it's kind of a negative connotation, isn't it, that you have uh, this initiation rite where you are a pledge and then you are accepted into that group of people. But it actually is just an echo of what has happened in almost every culture except for the modern culture of the late 20th century. And that is there have always been initiation rites that have said you have gone from being a child to being an adult. In the Jewish tradition, when you go through your bar mitzvah, it is a way of of, of basically signaling that you now have a different role in life relative to the community of people that you're a part of, and you have greater expectations and responsibilities placed upon you. You have gone from being a boy to a man. And they not only include that for uh, the males within their culture, but they also have a, a female version of that where you have a, a day that is set apart, that is ritualized in the culture and is handed down from generation to generation where you go through your bar mitzvah and that is the day it is recognized that you have gone from becoming a, a, a little girl to being acknowledged as a woman. And you know, a lot of people have said that when it comes to young men in the United States, many of them never transition from being a child or being a young man to being a man. And so they go through life without a ritual that indicates that was the defining moment that happened that said, I'm a man. And in the back of their mind, there's always this lingering sense of, I'm not sure if I'm still just not a child or a teenager or, uh, you know, still a kid. I, I don't feel like the necessary thing has happened that has, has been a defining moment that indicated, yes, you are a man or yes, you are a woman. And am I, am I right? Have you, have you experienced that? Have you seen that in, in the lives of, of men and, and even women? Uh, I know I've, I've struggled all my life a little bit with arrested development. I've never had that one defining moment that said that. Uh, for me, I would just go back to the time that I graduated from Bible college where I recognized, yeah, now I've got to go out on my own. I am gainfully employed, and now I'm responsible. 
And that's what I do in my mind. I just think that when I graduated and when I got a place of my own and when now I had bills and stuff, that was that moment. But it didn't have that deep spiritual rootedness of having a religious ceremony that said, this is your rite of passage. Now for Jesus, he was anticipating going uh, to that place where he would be called to be a man and called to be an adult and go through that ritual process. But before that process even began, there was another ritual process that was put in place, and that was for the parents to say, we are dedicating this child to be raised in an environment where all of the values that we have, our way of life, our whole view of God and our relationship with him, the tone is set for the trajectory of that child's life at that, at that rite of dedication. That's why it is so important when Theophilus asks Luke, who is this Jesus? And Theophilus, or, and, and Luke can go back and he can say, well, let's just start with the kind of environment that he came out of and the things that happened at his, at his uh, rite of dedication. And so when you look at this story, you find that from the very beginning, things began to happen in the life of Jesus that would reinforce everything that he would become. I believe that is extremely significant and as we get into this story, thinking about that story, but also thinking about our story, and I would suggest in light of the pandemic that we've gone through, um, we need to take a look at this story. And I'll just say this. I like what Daryl Bach said in his commentary. He said, all these sacrifices indicate how seriously Judaism took approaching God in worship and how prepared a heart and soul one should have as they address God. I think that is so cool because we live in a moment where there is not that element of respect for God baked into the world that we live in. Now, there's a respect for science. I mean, people won't even question science and what science says but they'll question God all day long. And I think that's just the way that um, uh, the world is going right now. But for us, we know, don't we, that there is a layer below science, below everything that is going on in the culture that is critical to get in place. And that is the layer that involves our relationship with God and our relationship with each other as we've come to understand God. And here's the premise of my whole message. And maybe it's worth writing down, I don't know. But there may, there may be no more important indicator of the future you than to look at the community of the current you. When you look around, 
This is the premise, and you're going you're gonna to discover why this is true. When you look around, whether you're online or whether you're offline, the community that you are now in will play a huge role in determining the community that you'll be a part of in the future. So let's explore, shall we? Now, with the pandemic, when, that, when it happened, I'm just going to go there for a minute. I'm not going to go there too long. I know that our mission to try to help people to understand Jesus and to know him better and to follow him has always been a thing, but it has been truly challenging for uh, pastors, for staff, for elders, for people that love the Lord to see that take hold during this time. And it's... Um, it's been so challenging that whenever the pandemic first happened, I actually thought we probably needed a good disruption so that we could get our priorities in place. And people like myself and people in, in, in my role who, who lead really looked at it as an opportunity, no question about it, and we were pretty excited. But I, I have to tell you that as this thing has unfolded, something that was hopeful and anticipatory has turned into something kind of negative. And that is um, the world has become more and more complex and it's been difficult to sift through what we have to experience when we go through life and when we try to make sense of what is happening around us. And because of that complexity, it has impacted our church probably more profoundly and all churches in the country than, 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 than practitioners like myself have ever seen. And it's created a lot of confusion for us because we really haven't really, we can't find a playbook to say, yeah, this is how they did it back at, you know, back in 19, you know, 64 or, you know, 1922 or pick a number. And you, you find that, no, nobody's got an answer talk to World War II generation people that are left, they'll say, yeah, I've never seen anything like this. But what I do know is that the longer this has unfolded, the more disintegrating it appears to be for so many, especially in terms of our spiritual lives. And the thing that people in my industry will, will tell you, in my role, whatever, however you want to say it, when they do surveys, they say, you know, 30% of the people that were, were committed uh, followers of Jesus have basically just gotten out of the habit. And that number is actually increasing. And we find at the same time that people in my role and others, we've, we've struggled with um, the, uh, the mental health and the emotional health issues that that's created. And honestly, I think the only thing that's helped to sustain me is being a part of a community of people, and especially the elders during this time, that have stayed centered on the things of Jesus. And it is out of the overflow of that centeredness that if we've been able to minister to you, um, we've, been, we've been able to keep our, our, our hearts and our minds and our emotional lives 
in order. And it really centers on a relationship with Jesus. We, we are living in a fractured time, no doubt about it. I mean, we're definitely politically fractured. And I honestly thought when I was in seminary that I, I couldn't imagine a professor saying, yeah, about 35 years down the road, your church is going to split up over the topic of masks. And we just did not see any of this stuff coming. And what's the answer? I think just plain and simply, it's a simple mantra that we've had to adopt and we want you to adopt as well. And that's this. Hey, let's just follow Jesus. Did you catch that? Hey, let's just follow Jesus. And that's why we're going into Luke and going into it the way we are. Because we're not in very good shape right now, and we need some leadership. And what better person to find the necessary leadership for this moment uh, than in the one who lived his life perfectly, who followed God obediently. I want to look at his life and ask the question in a fresh way. Jesus, what is it that we need to do as we follow you? Now, going into the new year, it is a time where we think about habits, don't we? We think about resolutions. I mean, it's just natural. It's a new year. You're thinking new thoughts. And we also kind of know that it's just, it's just another day at the end of the day. And we've all done New Year's resolutions, right? And we've all said, yeah, that lasted about a day, a week, maybe a month. And if it lasted a month, that's congratulations. Because perhaps you've began to form something called a habit. And believe it or not, habits really are kind of like the system that we don't have to think about anymore. There are default patterns of behavior. They, 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 they impact what it is that we do and how it is that we think, don't we? We have rituals that reinforce the habit. And unless you bake a habit into your resolution, your resolution is going to fall flat because other habits are going to say, no, we're going to we're going to in control. This microphone doesn't like me. It's in the habit of uh, abusing our conversation. It's time for a new habit, Mr. Microphone. So hopefully we can get into a better place. But let me just say this. As you look at the question, how can I recenter my life on, in Christ? And how can the habits that are baked into my life reinforce that? There's a guy named uh, Charles um, uh, Duhay who said... Uh, who wrote a book called The Power of Habit. And that's really where this thing came alive in my mind. And in the book, he talks about keystone habits. These are the habits that are the superpower habits. 
An example would be, let's say you decide you're going to exercise, and then all of a sudden you got more energy. And not only that, you feel like you do better in your concentration at work. And because that exercise reduces all of the stress, it impacts how you uh, process your relationships with each other. It do that stress doesn't come out. That's an example of a keystone habit. And one of the things that as I'm thinking about the keystone habits of life, I'm asking the question, what have been the keystone habits of Jesus? Because what is happening in the verses that we have mentioned is there are, there's a community of people that are reinforcing values in the life and mind of Jesus that will eventually become an expression of the habits of Jesus. Because he didn't get where he was at 30 years into his life just all of a sudden. It was the result of creating the right rituals and routines and habits early on. Now, when I was a kid, I never made my bed. When I went to college, my roommate made his bed, and I'm like, oh, dang, we now have a standard that I've got to live up to. And I do it sometimes. I wouldn't do it sometimes. And then when I got married, I found a new habit. But what I also discovered was that the days that I make my bed, I just feel like now my life is set on a, on a good trajectory today, and it kind of creates the tone. The days I don't make my bed, it's like I got out of bed, I left chaos, and because it is unresolved, my whole day kind of becomes an unmade bed, so to speak. Well, that's a pretty poor example of just talking about keystone habits, but I think they're vital for us to tune into for a second because I believe the spiritual habits that you and I create affect all the other ones. And I'm sure there were parents in Jesus' day that said, yeah, he's our firstborn, yeah, we're Jewish, but we're not that interested in going all the way to the temple. I mean, it, uh, it's too far of a drive. So we're not going to bother with that. And then there were maybe other things that said, we're not going to go to synagogue today. And then pretty soon, the value that is tagged to that, that the parents had or didn't have, becomes by default the value that the kid has. And Jesus' parents said, we have a big responsibility here. We have to do this right. But what's so fascinating is the fact that it was reinforced by a couple of other older people, Simeon and Anna, who over the course of their lives had created a pretty deep habit, a keystone habit, a defining habit of making the temple and the things of God the central priority of their lives. And maybe, maybe we're kind of 
like them. Yeah, I'm figuring it out as I go through life, Lord, at 57 years. There's a lot of things that I used to think were important that I was habituated to that clearly are not that important. And there are other things that for the life of me, I do not want to give up that habit because I see their value. And worship is one of those things. Gathering with people in community is so necessary. You know, Brittany, Brittany wasn't, she got sick a couple of weeks ago, and so, and, and Brian was gone on, in California, he and Surrette. I came to work, and I'm just all alone. It, I don't know, I don't do that very well. I don't know about you guys, but I, I need people. And Jesus' parents, interestingly enough, needed people as well because as you read the story there are things that Simeon and Anna did and said to those young parents with their firstborn child that really just helped them along the way and as Jesus is living out his life and as we read the story later on in the red-lettered part of many of your Bibles, there's about 1,800 verses that are red letters um, in, in a, in a red-letter edition. Now, your pew Bible doesn't have that, but the red letters are simply the words of Jesus. So figure 1,800 verses. And embedded in those 1,800 verses and their surrounding context really are indicators of the behavior of Jesus, of the habits that Jesus prioritized that became his rituals and his routines. And what we discover, I think, is pretty interesting because I would like to not just be good at making my bed or surrette, flossing my teeth, which I have gotten better at, but I would also like to make uh, habits that are the keystone habits that are spiritual, the fundamental behaviors of my life. And when you fast forward 30 years from this time of dedication, you see that that community that helped to bake in certain values Everything began to show fruition. Jesus had five keystone habits that were the fruit of his dedication. When he, when he started his ministry, we know that he was committed to community. Right out of the gate, he, cho he chooses 12 people to do this thing called the message of salvation and redemption for humanity, not by himself, but with and through other people. I think it's significant, uh, Rich, that there were three, and then there were 12, and then there were 72, and then there were 500, which was sort of the macro community that he spent time with. And the reason this is important is because whether you're reading the dedication passages or whether you're reading about what life with Jesus was life, like on the road, there was always a community of people 
that helped to make it happen. And I don't know if we have any Tom Petty fans in here, but I've always been a Tom Petty uh, and the Heartbreakers fan. I'll just throw that out there. You can judge me if you want, or you can say, oh, I like you even more, Pastor. But I read a biography over the Christmas break of, that he had, and he talks about forming his group. And they started out in Gainesville, Florida, and they played gigs, and they had fights, and they finally went to California, and they got a recording deal. And his whole aim was to keep the same team of people that had gone through that formative experience with him together for the long run. And the biography really is about how difficult that can be, but how critical it is to the collaboration, to the production of music, to the ability to have longevity over time as a group that doesn't become fragmented, but becomes increasingly more and more cohesive. And, for, and what, what, what I found very telling in the biography was he would fight tooth and nail even whenever he had a, a group member that constantly got under his skin he would fight tooth and nail to keep that person and that community of people intact and cohesive because they shared a, a mission. They had a vision of what they wanted to do. And whether you've listened to them in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s, it just gets, his catalog just get, got richer and richer and richer. When Jesus created these communities, it was because one of his keystone habits was being a part of a community is essential for staying healthy in my relationship with God and focused on my purpose for being here on earth. I'm going to elaborate on just this keystone habit. I'll share the other five, and they'll come out later. But... Here's how significant this is. Did you know that the people that you associate with are actually a very big determiner in life regarding who will become? There was a Harvard study that said 95% of our success or failure can be attributed to the people we most associate with. That's pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? So if you're spending time with committed followers of Jesus, chances are you're going to reflect that characteristic. If you're spending time disconnected from those people, you're going to become somebody else. If you are spending time just watching the news, well... You're just going to be an extension of the, of the voices of the people that you hear proclaim what's happening around the world. But you know what else is so interesting about that? Is that um, other studies kind of reinforce that. That if you made a resolu New Year's resolution to lose weight, that there's a 57% probability 
that if you're around somebody that is overweight, you will be overweight. That's just a, that's just a social statistic. The, 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 in, the converse is true. If you're around somebody that is focused on taking care of their health and their, and their, and their weight and whatever, you will also reflect that. Now, I'm not getting into anything here. I'm just saying that's the pattern. We are that socially defined. And so when we are in community, we are stronger together. And we cannot make good habits in a community that isn't supportive of what we believe. Do you remember how I started this message out? There may be no more important indicator of the future you than to look at the community of the current you. Just look around, whether here or at home or at work or wherever. The people you're surrounded by are the people that will define you. The elders and myself and the staff, we've taken that very seriously and we've actually worked hard on our own ability to be more like Jesus and to follow his habits. Now I'll give you the other five, the other four real quickly, and then we're gonna we're gonna end this message time. And these are these are some some to consider. Secondly, he studied scripture of those eighteen hundred red letter verses. 180 of them were quotes from the Old Testament. So it got under his skin, and it just kind of flowed out, out one out of every ten words. Not only that, he prioritized prayer. He did it early, and he did it often. Beyond that, he retreated from the noise. He was in the habit of retreating from the noise. And you see that because you, you see something happen, like he healed a, a, a demoniac, and then he healed Peter's mother, and then it's like the next morning he got up and he says, I got to get away. And it wasn't just, I got to be my, by myself. I have to be alone with God. And then the fifth thing is, he habitually chose church. And there are some passages of scripture that say, every day he went to the temple. Or every day he went to the synagogue. There was something about these five things. And there are other habits that people have tracked that Jesus um, consistently uh, demonstrated as his pattern. But the big five are that. And my question as I challenge you here is maybe your parents didn't dedicate you at the temp- temple when you were firstborn. Maybe you came out of a home that was a polar opposite. From the standpoint of the good news of the gospel, it doesn't matter entirely because the important thing is is that when Jesus came, he came to deliver us from all of the darkness that was weighing upon you and I, both externally, but more importantly, inside our own souls. 
And he gave us an opportunity at a bloodstained cross to be able to find peace and, and, and resolution. But not just that, to find a new identity as a member of his family. That's significant because his goal, like Simeon said, was to be a light to the world. But the burden that his mother had was, you're going to reveal what is going on in the hearts of many, and they're not going to like it. And I honestly believe what God has been doing during the pandemic has been churning to the surface a lot of ugly that is inside you and me that we've just sort of kept suppressed. But it's come out more vividly and more plainly than we're comfortable with. And, you know, they tell us the truth will set us free, but first it will make us angry because we don't want to hear it we don't want to talk about it. We just want to be good Christians. And on the surface, we don't want anybody to get too close. But if you follow Jesus carefully with his community of people, he got close enough to kind of make mad some of his followers, kind of skewer some sacred cows, kind of challenge some of the things that they wanted to hang on to. But Jesus said, I'm bringing this to the surface. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you of it because we got to deal with it and move past it. Because we are called to be a better people, to offer a better way, a better framework for life that is, that is described only in terms of the kingdom of God. And he's inviting you and I into that new identity but he also may be with the spirit of conviction, bringing to the surface things in your life that you'd rather that people didn't know about. You'd rather not even talk about it to yourself. But that's a mercy so that you can see that the answer is a bloodstained cross. And it is at that cross that we are all humbled and humiliated. And none of us is better than any of the other of us. No one's more better. Except people that do better grammar. Everybody is the same. But when the light comes and does its job, then the joy comes and the peace and the ability to handle whatever because hey we're following Jesus are you following him because we want to invite you into that entourage of people that say he's the one would you bow with me Father, as we just take this moment, and I pray that it would just marinate into our souls, that sense of what we need to prioritize in our lives, 
that sense of habits that we need to unlearn and replace based on a new set of values, habits that we've seen embodied in your son, Jesus. Help us, Father, to be like him and to choose community and help those who are here who are not officially, legally, relationally a part of that community. Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here who needs to declare allegiance to Jesus, to confess those sins that the Holy Spirit has churned to the surface this year and to put them before that bloodstained cross, knowing that you will receive them, Lord, and you'll replace with the space that they once inhabited, the presence of your Spirit and the fruit that brings so much richness and joy and blessing. Father, I just pray that that would be our people, First Christian Church. Help us to prioritize the habit of choosing community in the year of our Lord, 2021. And all God's people say together, amen. If you'd like to open your communions now, I think Leonard just gave us a pretty good, pretty good runway for our prayers. In your own space, in your own time, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you in any way. I'm just going to make the announcement once more. Um, I know some online didn't hear me. Thank you for letting us know that. But just simply put, after the service, you can stick around uh, in here. And if you're online, we'll just need a few minutes to end this uh, video and start the next. It will just be a, a digging deeper. So the image that comes to my mind is we're the seven dwarves and we're going into the Bible to, to mine but we have something much more precious than anything they found. We have truth of scripture, which far outweighs any gold and silver we have here. So please stick around from, for that if you'd like, uh, and just keep an eye on our YouTube page. Uh, it, it'll be called Digging Deeper, 
And then today's verses were Luke 2, 22 to 38. Thank you. If you'd like to stand to worship. stand before your maker full of wonder full of fear come behold his power and glory yet with confidence drawn near for the one who holds the heavens and commands the stars above is the god who bends to bless us with an unrelenting love rejoice Come and lift your hands and raise your voice. He is worthy of all praise. Rejoice. Sing the mercies of your King and with trembling rejoice. We are children of the promise, the beloved of the Lord, one with everlasting kindness, and part with sacrificial blood, bringing reconciliation to a world that longs to know the affections of their Father, who will never let them go. Come and lift your hands and raise your voice Cause he is worthy of our praise and rejoice Sing the mercies of your king and with trembling rejoice All our sickness, all our sorrow Jesus carried up the hill. He has walked with us before us. Yes, he is walking with us still. Turning tragedy to triumph. Turning agony to praise. There is blessing in the battle. So take heart and stand amazed and rejoice when you cry to him. Your voice, he will wipe away your tears. Rejoice in the midst of suffering, he will help you sing. Rejoice, come and lift your hands and raise your voice. He is worthy. Sing the mercies of your King and with trembling rejoice. Oh, Father, thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Thank you. May all these gifts that you've given us point back to the best gift that you've given us, Jesus Christ. Thank you for everything that we got to hear today. Thank you for everything that we will hear. Establish in us a 
a leading, a drawing, that we would find you, seeking you in your word, finding you there as you have promised. And may we be like Simeon, who rejoiced. He said, you could dismiss your servant now. My eyes have seen your salvation. He saw Jesus, and he was ready. He had peace, he had consolation. From the work that you do by the Holy Spirit and asking in this prayer, would we have the same consolation of seeing Jesus Christ by faith and trusting in him for all, forfeiting all that we might have only him and everything else thrown in because we have him. And it's for your wonderful, powerful, and perfect name we pray. Amen. All right. Stick around or we'll see you soon, okay?